Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of Him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise. I'm honored to be able to share with you the things that I believe the Lord has put into my heart for you specifically as I have been praying for you. Um, I feel it's important to communicate that in the beginning. As I have been praying for you, I believe that the Lord has revealed certain things to be communicated. Right? Paul would have said it this way to the Corinthians. He said, when we're among the immature, we speak in a way that they can understand. He said, because immaturity has a language just like maturity has a language. He said, but when we get around those that are mature, please understand There is a language that has been given to us by the Spirit that is reserved for those that are grown up in their understanding to certain places of God, His Word, and His desires. Paul communicated to them that there is a language of maturity that God desires for you to grow up into. The writer of Hebrews would have said in chapter 6, I wish to move on from elementary things, but we cannot do so. I had to come to you and continue to give you milk, though my desire was to bring to you meat. So there's a language reserved For the mature. And I feel that we are standing in such a moment because I know that there is a team here, that there is a leadership here, that there is a pastor here that labors in the word towards the conclusion of maturity in your life as you gather here as a family. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. And I believe that there is an accountability. We just simply mean responsibility. For the moment that we are standing in. Because time presents us unique opportunities to fulfill God's desires. And in Acts chapter 4, we find a community of people. Right? This is post-day of Pentecost. Not long after. But this is post-day of Pentecost. Jesus has been crucified publicly. He's been deemed a fugitive. He's been martyred as a criminal. He has laid his life down for the mission that he says God has launched him in the earth to be on. He is not bent. He is not swayed. He is not detoured from his purpose for he knows that he is fulfilling the Father's heart. The day of Pentecost has come because Jesus has been ascended into the heights of the heavens. Angelic hosts have come to witness. Why are you still standing around? Jesus has told them, he has issued them to go and wait for the promise of the Father. They are in obedience to the voice of Jesus, gathering though they are fearful of their very lives, not necessarily knowing what to do. They're in the upper room. They're together, they're praying. God responds by wind and fire. He responds by filling them, throws them out into the streets. Chaos ensues. God has now gripped them. He has now filled them. He has now gotten on to them. That is to such a degree that it is causing trouble for everything around them. God has shaken their hearts and their lives in a way that is shaking everything around them as they know it. But they are diligently, fervently given over to the plan, to the purpose that they believe that God has put upon their lives. We know that in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going to prayer at the temple. 
that on their way there, there's the man who's lame. They end up laying hands on him. He ends up getting up. He's healed in Jesus' name. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I do have. Get up and walk. Rather than this being a benefit to what God was doing, they pay a hefty price for God moving out in the streets. Right? How many of you know, not, not always, the things that God says is going to create big-time celebration from everybody that's gathered round about. But even when there's not celebration, there's confusion, there's chaos. The local authorities grab them, bind them, throw them into jail because of what God is using them to do. There's a community of people that are praying for them, understanding the severity of the moment by their obedience to the things that God has said. And Peter and John are in prison, and the church is praying. And when Peter and John get released, in Acts chapter 4, we find out it's, it's important to follow along with the details that the scriptures are revealing to us. Peter and John get released from jail. Right? They are in jail because of the way God is using them. How many want to be used by God? <laughs> Come on, we may live in a Western culture that doesn't have a lot of penalty. But these are men that are facing severe penalty because of the way that God is using them. And they get out of jail. And they immediately, their instinctive thought is to run to the family that they know God has placed them in. Their first thought is to find the community of believers that God has planted them in. Their first initial response to what is happening in their life, the pain, the pressure, the penalty of God being with them and using them, is to go looking for the church family that God has made them to be a part of. You see, it's important that we also identify that their connection to the church family was not through the simple commercialized routines or avenues that many of us find so appropriate. They weren't looking necessarily for just the right worship experience. Well, you don't understand. I like big time worship teams or I like this style of worship or I like this kind of music or like my worship team has to have an electric guitar and a bass guitar and if we don't have a drum and if we don't have this and if we don't have that, they weren't looking for a commercialized inroad into the community that God had connected them to. They didn't identify with a certain famous platform or preacher. They weren't associating with a certain stream or style. All they knew was Jesus and each other. All they knew was that their lives were being shaken because of what God was doing with them. Because of the reality of the allegiance to Jesus that their hearts were committed to. They knew I've seen him. And I've lost everything because of him. And now we have him and each other. And when Peter and John got released from jail, they immediately went looking for the community that they were a part of. How many of you, your first response is to come running to the church whenever you're going through trial? How many of you, your immediate response whenever you're going through pain, whenever you're facing pressure, whenever you're under hostility, when your life has been put in the fire, when you look round about and all you see is the pressure and the pain and the trial and the fire because of what God is doing with you? How many of you, like Peter and John, come looking for the family that God has made you a part of? It's important that we identify what's happening and they get together. But when they get together, it's not just to be together. 
come in and they set themselves to prayer. And as they set themselves to prayer, God shakes the building where they're gathering. God fills them afresh with the Spirit. And God launches them back out into the very context of chaos with greater boldness to declare the word of the Lord. It was not time for them to back down. It was time for them to count the cost and continue on. I believe this morning that the sense of what God is doing will cause something within our hearts to count the cost afresh. Not to back down from the moment that God has us standing in and to continue plunging forward into the depths of God's purpose together. It's important to note that Acts chapter 4 verses 29, 30, 31 tell us that they were together. Together is a unique word, but it's a a word that reveals divine purpose. Please understand that God has known from time back and time forward nothing but together. Because God in himself is together. This may sound very, very simple. Let's, Let's unpack together. God in himself is together. We understand that God is one, yet he has distinctly expressed himself as three. But his three expressions are not an attack on the unity for him to be known as one. The individuality of the three are in perfect harmony to be known as one. They are not challenged by one another. They are not in competition with one another. They are not jealous of the expression of what one of the others reveal. They are in perfect, beautiful fellowship, though three, to be known and to be worshipped and adored as one. God knows nothing other than together. And it is because of his desire for together that he will not compromise his own nature with the way that he has chosen to operate in our lives. Much of what God calls us to do will require together. Because God knows nothing other than together. And so the what that he may call us to will require a specific way. And because he is together... He is in partnership. He is in family. He is in communion and fellowship with himself. Our lives must bear his image in the way that we fulfill the what. And so God calls us into partnership. Because many of the ways that God fulfills his purposes is through partnership. God uses strategically partnerships to fulfill his purposes. You can look throughout all of the creation and all of time as we know it. And you can begin to take note of certain partnerships that God is using in order to reveal and to fulfill his purposes. Because again, he works together. He works through partnership. He works in relationship that bears the image of his nature. Because not all partnership bears a divine image. Not all relationship, not all unity bears a divine image or has the origin of a divine nature. 
We're familiar with the Tower of Babel. And with the Tower of Babel, there was an interruption to their unity because of God's investigation of the image that it was bearing. And he says, let us, there we have us again, let us go down and see what they're up to. And by way of investigation to what it was that they were building, God understands that their unity does not bear the image of a divine nature, but of a demonic resistance. Because God understands that powerful things happen when we get together. God understands that both he and the enemy understand the purpose of partnership. Right? The enemy was not cast down out of the heavens all by himself. But he coerced some of the divine counsel to come with him in rebellion to God, his leadership, and his desires. So not all unity necessarily bears a divine image. Some is from a demonic inspiration. And God comes down to investigate. Let us go see what they are doing. There is partnership. You can look all throughout the account of creation and see different partnerships that God is using to fulfill his purposes. You can look and see that humanity has partnered with divinity. Jesus has come as a man. It reveals God's desire for divinity to partner with humanity. We are filled with the Holy Ghost. We are humanity filled with divinity. It's, it's a complex conversation. It's a mystery that has been revealed in the face and in the person of Jesus. You can see how God partners eternity with time. You can see how God partners chaos with his counsel. You can see how God partners sorrow with celebration. But in the midst of all of these partnerships, though puzzling at times and though seeming to be beyond our limited understanding, when our reference point is only what we tend to see and know and feel, there is the belief that he is working all things together for good. To those who love him, who are called by his name according to his purpose. And God is using eternal things and temporal things to glorify his great name. For he has partnered eternity and time for the fulfillment of his divine purpose. The writer of Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity in our hearts. That God has put the longing for something greater than just running out the rat race of the clock every day. Surely there must be greater purpose to my life than just hoping that I'm still breathing when the clock turns to 11 or to 12 or to 1 or to 2. But because eternity has been planted within the heart of sons and daughters and God's creation in the earth, there is a longing for something that breaks wide open beyond the moment that we may be standing in. And regardless to the degree of our belief, we all understand that we have been created for something so much more. Because God is using time to reveal eternal things. But because God is not limited by time, he has not been fashioned by time, he can use, he can use time as his servant. For you must understand that God is not bound to time, for he stands outside of time. God is not subject to time, he's Lord over time. 
Your experience and mine, we have a beginning and we have an end, but God knows no such thing. We have a birthday, we have an end day. We are not what we were because we are progressing on a linear trajectory. We have a beginning and an end, and we are heading forward. Not one of us, though we may desire in certain moments to go back, none of us can escape the immediate where we're moving forward to go back to places we've already been. Not many of us would probably want to. None of us can go back five years, 10 years, 15 years. We are moving forward through time. We are maturing. We are aging. Though the outward man perish, the inward man is being renewed day by day. We are progressively growing up in and through time. But we must understand that God is not subject to time the way that our lives are. For God stands outside of time. But he has chosen in different glimpses to reveal himself in the midst of time. For God is not limited. He has no beginning. He has no end. For God created time, therefore he can use time. He can influence time to serve his desires. He can use time as a servant and not be bound to serving time. God stands outside of it, therefore he is able to be Lord over it. And there are different prophetic, imperfect glimpses that we get of God throughout the account that time reveals. We can go all the way back to the very beginning to see the way that God has chosen to reveal himself. Again, though imperfectly through broken men, we get a glimpse of perfection that is coming. For he is known as the one that was and is and is to come. The grammar is not even correct. If it were grammatically correct... It would be the one who was and is and will be. But God has nothing to become for he always is. There is no will be because he is always constantly in the present. But we don't understand a continual issuing of a present tense. I am that I am because we are bound to the capsule of time. We were and we will be because we are maturing and progressing. Though God knows no such thing. He always is. And so when he reveals himself, he reveals himself as I am that I am. Because there's nothing else for me to become. I am Moses. Who do I say sent me? I am that I am. And we catch a glimpse of this great I am and his desires all throughout the account of time. Leading us to the place where we can engage the fullness of things to be revealed. As Galatians 4 tells us in the fullness of time. Jesus was sent. Jesus was revealed. Because again, in the fullness of time, creates the understanding that God uses times and seasons to fulfill different unique purposes. Because again, time is a servant of God's desires. And in the fullness of time, God chose the right moment when Jesus would come. God chose the right vehicle, the woman through which Jesus would come. He was not a minute late. He was not two minutes early. In the fullness of time, God is always right on his time. Though it may not line up with our desires, he is always on his time. And all the way back in the beginning, you see the partnership of generation over generation. Revealing 
the testimony of Jesus and the goodness of God's desires and the purpose from which our lives are supposed to find their identification. All the way back in the beginning, it's let us make man in our image. There is a partnership. All the way back in the beginning, you have Abel, who is the righteous shepherd, who brings a perfect, acceptable offering to the Father, but yet has to offer up his life because of the offering being perfect. You see the partnership in the life of Enoch. Abel is Genesis 4. Enoch is Genesis 5. You see the life of a man that walked with God and was pleasing. And because of God's pleasure over a man, he came and got him so that he would not experience death. You see the partnership moving from Abel to Enoch to Noah, a man who was sensitive to God's voice, who understood what he was supposed to be building in his generation, a deliverer, if you would, that was unwilling to only save himself. For the Son of Man comes to seek and to save. Who was unwilling to only save himself, but who said, I'm going to make room for all of those with the right response. Can you see Jesus? In Abel, can you sense Jesus? In Enoch, can you see Jesus? In Noah, can you see Jesus? In Abraham, a man who's willing to be severed from the inheritance and the familial experience that he knows to venture off into a land that God called him to, but not just to be left alone, but that out of one man's obedience, an entire family would be grafted Can you see Jesus answering the voice of the Father, exiting out of the heavens, venturing into a land that God would call him to, not just so that he could be a wanderer, an alien, a foreigner, but so that he could create an entire family that would come along with him? Can you see him in Moses, standing against a wicked empire, a demonic system and structure, governing an entire geographical area, But the word through Moses is let my people go. Bring them out to the mountain that they may be my possession, that they may come and to worship me. You see God using time and generations in order to fulfill his purposes and his desires. Though imperfect, though not one generation having a complete picture, but being dependent upon the other generations to create a more full picture. Because he wasn't just the righteous shepherd. He wasn't just the one who walked pleasing. He wasn't just the ark of deliverance. He wasn't just the prophet who stood against the demonic system. He wasn't just in Joshua, the one who would lead them across the threshold into the promised land. But it took each and every generation in order for the revelation that they were looking for to be fulfilled. Because God has partnered our lives together so that we do not work independently of one another to come to conclusions that are bound up in his heart. The writer of Hebrews says it this way at the end of chapter 11. He says there are many that have gone on before you. He says there are many that have died in faith. There are many that have given their life for the purpose that God revealed to them. He says many of them died never having actually realized the 
fullness of what it was they knew God revealed, but yet they gave their life for it anyways. Hebrews chapter 11 many times gets marked as the hall of faith. Those that have walked before us, those that have labored in generations before us, those who have seen something in God and been faithful to him over the time that they were given to steward with him, those who have gone on and into eternity with God himself, their lives were marked by a faithfulness that put them in the story. He says many of them died without ever having seen the fullness of what God said. But in verses 39 and 40, the writer of Hebrews says, yet though there was something that God was working for them to remain in an incomplete place because it required them together with us in order for God's perfect desires to be revealed. Not even for those who have gone on before us will God allow them the individualized celebration because much of what God does requires partnership. Jesus would have said it this way, I've called you to reap harvests from fields that you never planted. He says this in John chapter after the discussion with the woman at the well. And they're wondering why it is that he's talking to a woman. But Jesus has other things in mind. He says, I've called you to reap from fields where you never planted. I'm calling you into places of harvest from days that you never labored. I'm calling you into an abundant place of provision from labor that you never toiled, from seed that you never sown. But because there are those that you are in partnership with that have come before you, I am faithful to them by being faithful to you so that together in partnership, my desires can be revealed and fulfilled. I think it's important because so many times with a lack of understanding of the time that we are standing in, we don't have the correct response in our moment of time to things that have been revealed. But by the Spirit, and may the Spirit grant us a lens for us to clearly see through God's eyes his desires in the days, in the generation, in the time that he has given you and I to become stewards of. Because we steward time because God is Lord over it. And if we do not have the correct perception, many times we lack the correct response. So much of our culture is demanding that we think in ways that are immediate and selfish. So much of our attention is bound into moments where we are never necessarily free enough to have the right actions with the implications of things that live on beyond us. But do you consider that the decisions you make today may influence the lives of faithful ones decades, hundreds of years from now? It takes a perspective by the Spirit to not be bound as a servant to time, but to allow time to serve God's desires. Because many of our decisions are based on things that have been revealed that are eternal and that are not necessarily only immediate. Though we have to be accountable right now, we know that there is more than right now at hand. 
We are not living for this world. We are not living for this age. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Because I know that this time that we have been given is just preparation for forever as God has always known it. But in many instances, if we don't have the proper discernment, then our decisions, rather than being towards an eternal end, end up ending in immediate benefits and results. Only one who has the perspective or a lens granted by the Spirit can deny immediate rewards unto eternal objectives. To understand that what I'm sowing into, if it blesses me now, praise God. But the blessing now is not the requirement in order for me to make certain decisions. The reward now is not what is demanding my attention towards certain things. Because much of what God will call me to will require an eternal perspective and not just an immediate gratification type mentality. If it doesn't feel good, I'm not going to do it. If it doesn't bless me somehow the way I want to be blessed, I'm not going to give my attention to it. If it's not immediately going to reward me somehow, then I'm unwilling to sow into it. It takes an eternal perspective to make decisions in an immediate way that go beyond or eclipse the immediate rewards and gratification mentality. The pure satisfaction of myself in an immediate way gets eclipsed when I see the beauty of Jesus in an eternal way. And it is unto this purpose that God releases his word into our hearts and into our lives. Because the word of the Lord is eternal. Though the grass wither and the flower fade. My word. My word, my word, my word, my word shall I send forth. And it will not return unto me void, but it will accomplish the purpose from which I sent it forth to accomplish. And it's important that our lives get governed or that we come under the harness, if you would, in the beauty of the face of Jesus to the word of the Lord. And it's God's delight to speak to us so that we're not wanderers. Let me encourage you. God doesn't want you to miss it. Let me encourage you. God doesn't want you to wander around in the dark. Let me encourage you. God doesn't want you to be uh, aloof or amiss of his purpose or his desires for your life. And it is unto this reason that he releases the word of the Lord so that our lives can come into alignment with his desires. I need God to speak to me so that I am in harmony with what it is that he is doing. And I'm not just wound up wasting time doing my own thing. I want what he wants. I want to be doing what he is doing. This is what Jesus said in John 6. I didn't come to do my own will. But I came to fulfill the will of him who sent me. You see, because I understand, I'm not confused. My father has a purpose. And it is unto this purpose that he has placed an assignment on my life. Jesus was not a man that was confused. He was not a man that was detoured. He was not a man that was going to be derailed by popular opinion or the criticism or the applause of the crowd that surrounded round about him. You see Jesus as a man who is focused. His face is set. He is diligent. He is fierce. He is unwavering according to what he knows it is that the Father is saying. And he has identified his Father's purpose and it's what settles him neatly and beautifully into his different assignments. Because we must understand that our assignment is not our purpose. 
You see, because if I get confused and I mistake my assignment as my purpose, then I'll be unwilling to perform certain assignments because I'll see them as an assault on my identity. John 13 gives us a beautiful context. It opens in verses 1 and 2 with these words. Jesus, knowing that he came from God, knowing God gave him all power and authority, all things have been entrusted into his hands. Knowing that he was going back to God, it creates the lens that we must be able to perceive his taking up of an assignment. Because if Jesus does not understand these things first, he'll never be able to do the things God is saying to him. He gets up from the table, he unclothes himself, and he takes on the garments of a servant. But he understands that his assignment of serving is not an assault on his sonship. You see, now we're getting somewhere. Because if I see my assignment as an attack on my identity, when I don't know myself or perceive myself correctly, then I'll never be able to fulfill certain assignments where God may direct me. But Jesus is able to go to a low place and to wash feet because he understands he's already been exalted to the highest place at his father's side. But he understands that his momentary assignment is not some kind of personal assault on his identity. Because he knows who he is. He knows what he's about. And because he knows who he is and what he's about, he's able to perfectly fulfill the things that God reveals. But when I'm insecure as to who I am, then I'll only cling to certain assignments because of the value that they seem to create to me in the minds and eyes of other people that may be around me. When I'm insecure about who I am, serving won't be on my radar because not many times do people applaud serving as much as they do other things. And because I'm insecure, I will identify or make synonymous my assignment with my purpose. Because my ultimate purpose is to love Jesus. My ultimate purpose is to be satisfied in Jesus. My ultimate purpose is to know who I am because I know who God is. Therefore, I am unstoppable because I can fulfill any assignment that God may reveal to me. Because my identity is not wrapped up in my activity. But because I know who I am... Even if called to the lowest place, I understand that I occupy a high place. That the world doesn't have to applaud. Because I live for one applause. I live for one voice. I live for one set of eyes. And Jesus understands who he is and the assignment that is on his life. He's not wound up in a worldly, fleshly way, just trying to do great things in an immediate sense. He understands the eternal objective. And it requires a low road. His assignments brought him into lowly places. And it's important that he is governed by the word of the Lord. So that he does not go astray. But at times it requires an intervention for us. So that we can come back into alignment with the things that God desires. Consider if you would Moses' encounter with God. All the way back. In Exodus chapter 3, there's a bush that's on fire. God speaks to Moses. And what is it that God communicates to Moses? He says, Moses, I have plans to use you. 
Moses, I have a desire to raise you up. Moses, I'm going to use you to be a deliverer to an entire nation, a whole people group. I am going to build your platform and use you in a great way that is going to be acknowledged in all of the region. Moses, there will be more than millions of people that will follow you. Moses, you will have influence. Moses, you will have authority. But Moses, please know this from the very beginning. I am calling you because of the covenant cries of my people that are being raised up to me. And because I have a desire to be faithful to them, Moses, I'm calling you. He tells him in the very beginning, please don't get it twisted. This is not just so that you can become famous. This is not just so that you can become influential. This is not just so that you can have some power platform and the enjoyment of some type of prestige. He says, Moses, what you don't understand is that you are standing in a moment that has been prophesied long before you were ever born. He says, because it was unto your forefather, Abraham, when I spoke to him and told him in a deep sleep that hundreds of years from now, your descendants, as numerous as the sands of the sea and the stars in the sky, that they would enter into captivity, that they would be put bound into slavery for a period of almost 400 years, but then a deliverer will arise. Moses, understand, you occupy a place that has already been prophesied. You occupy a space where others have already been praying. Others have already been fasting. Others have already been believing. Moses, I'm going to use you, but it's not only about you. You see, because Moses must be broken from the tendency to think that in many instances we are starting something rather than fulfilling something. You see, but most of us, our lives are standing in a moment that are a fulfillment of other moments rather than an initiation out of a moment that you had with God. God may initiate something in you and through you, but it will be the continuation of something that began long before you. Because it's the partnership over generations that God desires where ultimately he will be glorified. Moses, get it together from the very beginning. I'm using you, but it's not only about you. Your influence isn't only about you. Your favor isn't only about you. The responsibility is not only so that it can serve you. Moses, I understand that there will be many that will be lifting you up, but understand from the very beginning that it is I who have called you. And it is I that have prophesied about the place that I would install you. You see, at times we get the intervention at the very beginning so that we don't veer off. Other times, as it is in the life of Esther, it comes somewhere along the way through navigating certain difficulties and opportunities and open doors and closed doors. Mordecai comes to Esther, and I know that you're familiar with the account of Esther, but we'll, we'll go through it in certain ways anyways. Mordecai comes to Esther, and what does he say? He says, Esther, listen. Don't think that it's because you're so cute. All right, that's a word for somebody. For myself. Um, don't think that it's because you're so cute 
Don't think that it's because you were the only one that could strategically maneuver through all of the different nuances of protection for you. Uh, actually, Esther, even if you are able to preserve yourself, we're still all going to end up perishing, right? Mordecai is coming to reveal that there has been a demonic onslaught that has been released against them. There are weapons of warfare that have found their way to their doorstep, an extinction, if you would, of an entire people group. And Mordecai has come by way of intervention into the face of Esther to remind her of the purpose that God has for her position. He says, Esther, listen, if you will not do what God is calling you to do, you got to understand, Esther, there's, there's a calling attached to this. Esther, I need you to recognize that there's a purpose attached to your position. And if you will not do what God has put you in place to do, then God will raise up deliverance from another source. Because God's desires will be fulfilled. Our assignment is what enables us the opportunity to partner with things that God is doing and will see to completion. And Mordecai tells Esther, if you won't do it, then God will find someone else who is going to yield to it and fulfill it. Esther, understand that there is a purpose why God has you in your position. Because at times it requires divine perspective. So that we don't get lost in the opportunity of our platform. So that we don't get lost or maneuvered or massaged outside of divine accountability because of the different positions that God may allow us to fulfill along the way. You see, sometimes it takes a prophetic voice like Mordecai to come to Esther to say, Esther, wake up. Please, don't miss your moment. See it God's way. Don't be limited by such an immediate perspective. Understand that there are other attachments to the reason why God may have you in the place that he has you. But it takes a perspective in order to have the right response. It takes the proper discernment for us to be accountable in different moments that God presents to us. And this is the situation that we find in Acts chapter 4. We find a community of people that understand they are standing in a moment. You see, there have been beautiful opportunities for people throughout the history to understand that they were standing in a moment. Yes, Moses gets it directly from God, but Daniel gets it as he's reading the account or the history of the prophets, and he understands that he is standing in the fulfillment of a moment that God has already prophesied and declared. We understand when Peter stands up to preach on the day of Pentecost, he says, though you may just see wild chaos and confusion this is that that the prophet Joel has already spoken of this is not just some random happening or occurrence but we are right smack middle in the midst of God's desires we are fulfilling something more than something being initiated here but an immediate perspective can only see things that are right now, right here, rather than how right now, right here is connected to all of the rest of what God has been doing throughout the history of the stewardship of time. 
And in Acts chapter 4, they are together and they are in prayer. Because there's great tension because of the call that is on them as a people. There is all types of demonic resistance and hostility that is upon them as a people. There is great penalty for the decision of their allegiance to Jesus, the giving over of their lives to God's purpose, and the fact that they are committed to doing it together. Acts 4 reveals to us that they are together and that they are in prayer together. But they're not praying about somewhere else to go. Well, Lord, is this still the house that I'm supposed to be a part of? Well, Lord, I know that there's all types of chaos and confusion. Well, Lord, I know that there's all types of stuff going on. And man, like, like people are being put in jail and other people are being beaten. Like this surely can't be the will of God for my life. Like I know that he has plans for me. And those aren't the plans that he has, I'll tell you that. But even in the face of great persecution, they're focused. Even up against great penalty for their decision to invest their entire life into the purpose that God has revealed to them. They are anchored. And their anchoring comes through their being together and their being in prayer together. There is something by way of the substance of the spirit that binds us together when all of our worldly preferences seem to fall short. Because if we do not have the committing of our lives to the knitting of the spirit, then many of us will begin to do the preferential thing in our selection of where we are and who we're connected to. But this was not their process. They understood that God was doing something that wasn't just commercialized and pleasing. There was a purpose that had been revealed to their hearts that they were willing to give their life for. There was something that they knew Jesus said that even if it cost them everything, they had already found everything in him so they didn't feel like they were losing anything. And they're together. There's all types of questions and confusion and chaos, but their answer is to be together. Their answer is to be in prayer together. Their answer is for God to fill them with more boldness so that they can go back out declaring the word of the Lord. Mind you, they were not out preaching what they wanted God to say. They were out declaring the thing that they knew God had already said. Paul's encouragement to those at Corinth was, I pray that you see the same thing and begin to say the same thing. There was a unity in their vision and in their speech. Their language was in alignment with what they knew God had revealed. And they were out declaring the word of God. Meaning they were out speaking with great boldness, with great fire, with passion, with unction by the spirit. The things that they knew God was saying and not just other things they wished he was saying. Even against all of the objections, even against all of the hostility, they stayed the course. I know that in our day. So much is so new. So much is visually always being casted before us. But there is something to be said about cultivating faithfulness over time. 
You can't substitute faithfulness over time. You can't substitute diligence, passionate, zealous fervor over time. They weren't coming together and praying about a way to bring an end to what God was doing because of the way that it was costing them. They were coming together and they were saying, man, we know what you said, Lord, but this hurts. We know what you said, but this is painful. We know what you're saying, but Lord, it's, it's costing us something. Lord, we know what it is that you're saying. But man, people are really, they're losing their lives because of this. But we know that it's the purpose that you've called us to. We know that it's the mission that you have us on, which requires us being together, which requires us being in prayer together in order for us to continue to cultivate a consistency. Because in the moments that we choose to amputate ourselves from the body that God has called us to, it's easy to convince ourselves that God is saying something other than what he has already been saying. There's something that happens when we're together. But it's when we choose to yield to the voices that create divides and separation that we begin to enter into confusion. They were together, not praying about going to the house up the road, not praying about finding another Jesus that would serve their needs rather than them fulfilling his desires. They weren't looking for something to tickle their ears. There were people that were losing their life Others being put in jail. I have to know what God is saying in order to bear up under the responsibility of the moment that I'm standing in. But God is gracious to put his word in our hearts. He's gracious to speak to us as a people in a way that creates a gel or a glue that binds us together. Ephesians 2 would call this knitting our lives together to create a habitation for God by the Spirit. There is something powerful, something unique, something otherworldly that happens when we give our lives one to another in Jesus to fulfill the purposes of God that just can't simply be manufactured. You can't buy it. You can't be creative enough to make it happen. The world will never be able to mimic it or mirror it but God in his own wisdom has initiated it he will sustain it and he will fulfill it and they were together and as they came together they prayed in a moment we're going to have a time where we are going to pray together they came together and they prayed and God shook the place they were standing and God filled them a fresh with his spirit and God threw them back out into they were not avoiding what God was saying God threw them back into a place with greater boldness in order to declare what had already been revealed to them that they knew God was saying we need the Lord by his spirit to bring us together we need the Lord by his spirit to fill us 
afresh. Let me just encourage you. If you've been facing hostility, God has a fresh filling for you. If you've been facing confusion, God has a fresh filling for you. If you've been up against a persecution or a penalty or some sort of pain because of the way that you've been walking with Jesus or desiring to obey him, God has a fresh filling for you. Understand they weren't filled because they were hiding away and they weren't just doing anything and they were just a member of the Bless Me Club. They were out there laying their life down for what it was that God said. And it required them being filled in order to continue on against all of what was up against them. And God shook the whole place. And he sent them back out so that they could continue shaking everything around them because of the way that God had put a shaking within them. This morning, by his spirit, may he shake everything loose from our hearts that are not in alignment with his desires for us to fulfill his purpose in our generation. You do understand we have one shot at this thing. For those of us that believe in reincarnation, I'm sorry, it's not true. We have one shot at this thing and we must make the most of the time that God has given us in order to steward. And they understood that they were standing in a moment on the backs of faithful ones that had gone on before them that were cheering them on that in the day of God's faithfulness they would be faithful to God God's call. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, because we have such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run our race. Because we have such a great cloud of witnesses, let us not fail or falter in the day of God's faithfulness. It would help some of our hearts to understand that for hundreds of years, for thousands of years, there are those that have gone on before us that have been praying for the moment that you are standing in. There are many in this city that have gone on before you that have prayed about the day when God would raise up a people to shake this city. They have wept, they have fasted, they have prayed, they have diligently in joyous devotion unto God offered their lives, many of them not seeing the fulfillment of things that had been revealed, but they saw enough of it to understand accountability to give their lives to what they knew God showed them. Do you see enough to give your life? Do you see enough to be faithful do you see enough for the accountability of stewardship that God has given you in the time? We heard it already as it was prayed in the beginning. God chose you for this time. He understood the dynamics of this time and he put you here. He said yes to you, understanding that on the faithful backs of the cloud of witnesses that are now cheering us on, may we run our race and may we cast off Every entanglement, every entanglement, may we lay aside all of the encumbrances that would so easily beset us and with great diligence, may we lay hold of God's purpose for us. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app.